Hello, you're listening to Heroes and Headwinds. It's a podcast brought to you by The Culinary Edge. I'm Graham Humphreys, CEO at The Culinary Edge, and I lead a team of food and beverage innovators who, maybe like you, solve today's problems and create tomorrow's opportunities for food and beverage. This podcast brings you into the conversations that we have with our heroes in the industry, discussing how to brave the headwinds of an ever-changing and challenging F&B landscape. Along the way, we hope you'll get to know our guests as we have as friends, collaborators, and inspirations for a brighter future. Today's interview is with Sam Okus, the award-winning editorial director of Informa's Restaurant Group, which publishes Nation's Restaurant News and Restaurant Hospitality. Sam has such a unique and big picture vantage on our industry, in touch with a million challenges our community faces, but building a path from those challenges towards a better and more vigorous industry. Here it is, led by TCE's Michael Parlapiano. Sam, yeah. it's a great treat to have you. We've been hoping to do this for some time. So welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Graham and I, we've been following your career for some time, and we learned in preparing for this that you've dedicated the last 13 years specifically to writing about food and beverage in the food service space. Uh, what first drew you to food? <laughs> it was um, stupid, dumb luck that got me into food and beverage, to be honest with you. When I was 18, I was going to be the next great Rolling Stone journalist. Uh, I w am a musician. I wanted to be a music journalist. I loved writing about my favorite bands and albums. And I did that through college. I wrote for the local alternative publication in my hometown, which was also where I went to college. I loved all of that. I loved being a part of the music scene, the music industry. And then when I was a junior in college, I had this realization that I was never going to make money doing that. And I had a girlfriend who became my wife. And I was like, I gotta, you know, make a living as a I gotta, you know, pay for not only a ring to marry her, but I need a, a steady income. And so I pivoted at that point in my life to business journalism and um, took some, I basically um, minored in business journalism and got an internship at an architecture trade magazine, which I hated because architecture was so not my vibe. Then out of sheer luck coming out of college, I applied for a job at QSR magazine as an associate editor got that job. No idea why to this day they hired me because I was just an immature kid at that point. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I fell in love with the food and beverage industry. I, a few years into it was came to this realization that I'm never going to write about any other industry or be a part of any other industry but food and beverage because it's got its parallels to music. It's creative. It's good people. It's fun. What's even better about it, more so than when I was at the architecture trade magazine, I understood it. I got it. I was a customer, a fan, and so I could really understand the the business much more so. So um, I, here I am now, 13 years on, and it's just been the greatest pleasure and surprise of my life that I get to cover this industry. I'm glad that you found that you loved it after the fact. Uh, I think you must be the first person who went into the that we've spoken to who went into the food and beverage industry for the money. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you may also be the last. I get to I get to do I get to look at this industry from a totally different perspective than you guys. So um, it's a lot more cozy where from my perspective because I don't have to actually run a restaurant. <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting that you say that it's a little bit 
like music as well. In in a way, running a restaurant, you've got showtime. Every service is like putting on a show. It's curtain up and when we talk to hospitality professionals, there's always that curtain up, get ready for the performance, always that instinct, which is great energy. Um, that's awesome to hear. Uh, not all that unlike my own uh, way into this industry, just you know, seeing those parallels to other um, creative pursuits. So really cool to hear that, Sam. It's, you know, in this industry, it's the entrepreneurs in this industry that really inspire me because I spend so much time with business owners, founders, um, creative thinkers in this industry, that it is, it really encourages me to want to do my best to be creative, to be entrepreneurial. You know, in time, I, I, I came to understand myself as entrepreneurial. I, I, I never would have considered that before. I didn't get an MBA. You know, how, how could I be an entrepreneur? But, you know, I've had some, some friends in this industry who, you know, helped me to understand that even in my role in media and what I'm able to do and contribute to this industry, I too can be entrepreneurial. And so um, really surrounding myself with a community of entrepreneurs in this industry, whether they're, again, chefs or business owners, founders, CEOs, watching their, uh, their processes at work, watching how they are making decisions. That is always very inspiring to me because there's always applications, even though I'm not running a restaurant company, there's always applications in what I do in, in that parallel, the decisions they have to make at their restaurant companies. Talk a little bit about those parallels. How do those parallels appear to you? You know, it's, it's, it's running a team. It's, uh, you know, management, it's having a culture, it's uh, building products, launching products, having an audience slash customer base, all of these things, you know, in media, you know, we have all those things just like a or just like a restaurant company does. And so with this industry today, I see restaurant owners and CEOs going through those same things too. So um, that's why it's just, it's, it's very encouraging. And when I'm at a place like create, you know, I'm, I'm immersed in all these people sharing these ideas and early in my career, I would have been like, ah, you know, whatever, I'm just a journalist. These people are totally a different business, but now what they say resonates with me. It's like, yeah, I'm dealing with that too. I mean, restaurant operators talk about building a tech stack. I mean, I literally had a call today about our own tech stack for NRN and the, you know, various tools that we have to use for publishing. So there are, are, are definitely parallels and, um, and I'm, I'm very, you know, lucky enough to have several friends in this industry who I can call to for advice. And even though they're not publishers and I'm not a restaurateur, we, we can find some common ground. Yeah. And, you know, the more that we talk to entrepreneurs in the space and leaders of restaurant brands, the food is always the most important thing. But telling the story about the food is becoming an increasingly close second. Yes. Storytelling. Storytelling is everything, right? I mean, because you can have a, um, you can have a, a, a lousy product, but tell, if you tell a great story, you're still going to find a customer base for it, right? Um, so yeah, storytelling um, is obviously everything we do, but in the restaurant industry is, is more relevant than people would realize. I think for good or for bad, I think we see more brands that have a great story, but a disappointing product that are succeeding rather than the other way around. I think there's a lot of brands who have great products, but without a story, they, they simply don't get credit for what they're doing. I can see that perhaps the difference between a, a restaurant entrepreneur or a leader and what you're doing, there's quite a bit of overlap. It's surprising. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because, I mean, when you talk about like those businesses that tell a great story but don't have the product to back it up, I, you know, I've seen 
over 13 years, countless examples of those kinds of businesses. And, you know, I'm pretty cynical toward them, but I've always kind of found that at some point, if the product doesn't catch up to the story, they kind of just fade away. So um, I don't know, I, you know, even though storytelling is is so critical at the end of the day, if the payoff isn't there, what are you even doing? Your customer's not going to come back. Taking a step back in your own words, how do you feel about the restaurant space right now? And especially coming out of what's been obviously a, a challenging last few years. Yeah, I'm very optimistic. I think that the the tools available to restaurant operators today are the opportunity that they create is staggering. I mean, the the potential audience for restaurant businesses is obviously wider than it's ever been. Even if you're just a local restaurant, your ability to reach a literally global audience is has amazing potential. So that's what makes me optimistic. Now, the flip side to that is the saturation of the market. It is the noise in the market. It's the fact that yes, you now have reach to a global audience, but so does every single other restaurant in this world. I say that as a caveat, because it's like, yes, the potential is there for you to do incredible things. Um, but you have to do still have to do that very strategically, you have to still know which tools are best for you, how to use them. And you have to have an objective, you have to have a goal and know what you want to do with those tools. So my optimism comes from watching the businesses that are doing that right to see the way that um, restaurant companies, whether QSR, fast casual, full service, are tapping into new ordering platforms, new loyalty programs, you know, they're tapping into um, robotics and AI tapping into new real estate strategies, operational um, strategies, all of those things are exciting, because if done right, you can, you can really rethink what a restaurant is, and reach such a vast audience. But you know, you can't just slap on a, you know, digital ordering platform, you know, great, take this new POS system and call it a day, there's real intent you have to have behind that. So I mean, where, you know, two years ago, if we were having this conversation, I would have told you that I'm optimistic, because I think that the, um, the pandemic is going to change everything. And I think it's going to do it for the better. And I think it's going to force everybody to be creative. And that creativity is going to be a real benefit to the industry. And two years in, I, I stand by that. I think that has happened. I think that what everybody was forced to go through and the decisions they had to make on the fly and the changes they had to make all ultimately better served their restaurant company. I think that's especially true of full service restaurants, but it's true across the spectrum of restaurants that the decisions they had to make on the fly are ultimately going to lead to more efficient businesses down the road. And now that they've unlocked all that potential, the customer stands to benefit because this customer now has way more access to food than they ever had before. Right, right. Maybe it's a thousand small things like that that are driving this transformation in the industry. And as you say, we could be in a better place after all this is said and done and look back and say that was the best thing that happened for the industry. Yeah, I totally agree. It's that it's that forced creativity. Um, and and it, it, if you look at another example, look at full service restaurants that had never run off premises business, and suddenly they have to to survive. And guess what, they're all still doing it, even though their dining rooms are open, because 
as we all like to say in this industry, it was sticky. Like they, you know, it became this op- this new um, sales channel th- that customers really glommed onto. And it might be a small part of their business, but it's still a part of their business. And, you know, we've talked to chefs who rethought how they how they go about their menu. I mean, they totally rethought, you know, presentation of their plate. And, um, and of course, packaging, you know, how to cook so that uh, it's still hot when the customer gets it, all of these things they never had to think about before, because they didn't do off premises business, they started thinking about and, and some people we talked to have then found really creative solutions and more efficient solutions for their menu by having to think about it a, a different way. Um, Sam, you you just touched on a couple of things, you know, thinking about the ways in which full service brands have needed to pivot to become more off premises friendly, to tap into kind of emerging consumer behavior that, you know, came about during the pandemic. You know, we've been hearing a lot about this. And I think you even spoke to it earlier when you were referencing the plant based movement. A lot of this talk about this kind of new era of convenience, right, and value. And yet, you know, at the same time, I think we're seeing the beginning of the experiential dining and kind of full service dining coming back online. And it seems like the, the entertainment space is starting to ramp back up after a really tough couple of years. What are you seeing in the next couple of years? What 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 do you what do you see in terms of service models continuing to evolve or segments that were previously considered down and out or done and thriving, if if at all? Yeah, my impression of the direction things are heading is that we have this real bifurcation of the industry. And I see, you know, one direction going very convenience and accessibility focused, and one direction going very experience focused. And not to say that there can't be anything in the middle. But I I, I think, you know, you, you see these fast casual companies that might once have pretended they were full service companies with high levels of service and quality that are now going to be much more focused on um, the off premises channels, because, you know, that's, that's clearly what customers want out of them. I mean, not even talking about the virtual brands, but if you want to get into that, just thinking about the sheer number of options available at the touch of a button. So it's no wonder you're seeing Chipotle do drive throughs for all new builds now, because quality was their bread and butter, but now it's like, you you can hang on to quality, sure, but you must win at off-premises service because there's way too many other options for you to ignore that. So that's the bifurcation I'm talking about is I just think, you know, we're not going to have this middle zone of maybe we're fast casual, but we have, you know, a $30 plated meal available to you. That just, I don't think that is going to be a thing anymore. You're really going to have, you know, the high ticket, full service, incredible experience and service. And you're going to have the, you know, low ticket, um, you know, readily available, highly accessible, easy to, to order um, kind of experience on the other side. Right. And you just spoke with Jeff Applebaum, CEO of the Salted Group, where you discussed just that, you know, a, a brand that was digital first and, you know, opening brick and mortars and all that that brand specifically has learned or tried to parody from direct to consumer brands. You talked a little bit about it earlier, the need to tell a great story. What do you think about, you know, the future of these virtual brands? You mentioned it got a little bit messy. It's starting to mature now. Are we are we going to be seeing more virtual brands come online uh, in the years ahead? Or is this going to be something that kind of settles out to, you know, the really smart operators, the really smart brands that are able to do things a little bit more 
methodically with some of these digital first brands like we just mentioned you know a couple uh, last year 2020 i forget when it was there was an off-sided study that came out and i won't say who it was so as to embarrass them but they said that the virtual brand space could be a one trillion dollar category by 2030 um and wow was that wrong um it just it's not going to be it's almost like how at the beginning of the pandemic we were like full service is dead and wow, were we wrong? Because at the end of the day, people do still love the restaurant experience. And to get to a trillion dollars, which by the way, the entire food service industry itself has never gotten to $1 trillion. Um, but the virtual brand space would have to just consume everything. Um, to more directly answer your question, I think we're I think we're, it's going to settle out to where it's a very strategic part of restaurant operations. I think a lot of us listening to you will be nodding at this point. You mentioned restaurant leaders and entrepreneurs sharing their challenges, innovation, successes. Uh, I'm sure there are failures. How much do people share with you about the real challenges that they're facing? Does anything surprise you? Restaurant folks are really open and honest about their challenges because they're, they recognize that, again, this being a collegial, hospitable industry, I think they can find a shoulder in, in you know the metaphorical sense. Um, and uh, um, and so lately they've been very open about their challenges with labor. They've been very straightforward about how this has been just, uh, it just feels like one blow after the other for the last couple of years, supply chain. I mean, most fascinating, um, issues they've been having with supply chain, things that you would never even think about. Um, a fellow I, I was recently speaking with, um, talked about how he couldn't source, the toner for his printers and his restaurants. And so that meant he had to go to QR codes. And, you know, you would never think that toner from printers would be something that at the supply chain um, situation we're in right now would affect, but it does. And, you know, construction equipment, the, the doors for your restaurant, the cement to for your, you know, the, your floors, um, all of these things are just things you never would have expected to be so challenging and have been for the last couple of years. And so, um, so I hear that from everybody, but I guess the surprising part about it is that I first started picking up this at the national restaurant show in May is that, um, it's not like restaurant owners want this to happen, but they're just surprisingly resilient. They just kind of shrug and say, you know what, I'm getting around it. I'm finding solutions. It is what it is and we're getting through it. And they are. Um, so that surprised me the most that it would be easy to be, you know, down on your luck, depressed, whatever, but they're not. They are just um, facing the music and they're getting through. In a million years, I would not have imagined uh, you answering that question with printer toner being the supply chain <laughs> problem. But it, if, that, if that pushes somebody to go to QR codes who otherwise wouldn't do it, I'm not saying QR codes is good or bad, but if it pushes them to do something new that they um, otherwise would not have, then maybe it's like small things like that that uh, are driving the current transformation large scale in our industry. And maybe getting us to, you know, in a couple of years, we'll look back and we'll think we're in a better place. Wasn't it great, all of that disruption that happened? Totally. Yeah, the forced creativity that it's it's led to is, is leading to solutions that ultimately make the restaurant industry a better place. Wonderful. A um, couple of softballs to carry us out. Sure. Um, What's something that few people know about you, Sam? <laughs> um, Apart from the fact that that you're uh, you're uh, you were going to be a music journalist. 
I do have some low hanging fruit when it comes to icebreakers. But one thing that many people know about me now, um, because I, I it is my go to icebreaker is that I was a drummer in a banana themed punk rock band um, called Bananarchy. And it was the best thing I've ever done in my life. But a lot of people know that about me now. So I won't, um, I won't uh, go into that. Um, the real answer here is I have never worked in a restaurant. And uh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> now everybody knows I'm a, I'm a phony. <laughs> well, uh, if you want to come and visit us in San Francisco, we will put you on the back line at Starbird. Awesome. Just, just like that. And you'll be able to. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> you will then for, forever be able to say, I know what it's like. I've been there. That's right. Exactly. Sam, it's been a treat to talk to you and get all of your insights on so much that's happening in our industry right now not least to find out that you came to F&B for the money, uh, which is hilarious, <laughs> but you stayed because you loved it, which is awesome. Thank you so much, Sam. Thanks so much, Sam. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to Heroes and Headwinds, a podcast brought to you by the team at the Culinary Edge, produced by Evan Sorenstein and Mackenzie Phelan. Watch your feed for the new episodes to discover which industry leader we're chatting up next.